Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We we sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because great sex matters and we all deserve it. We sure do. So, have you ever considered expanding your relationship to include another person? Not just for the raw sex, but to include love, intimacy, and true bonding. Maybe a polyamorous relationship is meant for you. On today's show, we're gonna discuss all the different types of relationship bonding, as well as the different combinations and permutations of various polyamorous relationships. That's a lot of big words. I know, right? <laughs> I'm gonna to stick to the six, le- six letter ones for this show, but first, let's tell everybody about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets, Every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry, no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket, that's T-O-P, waterproof blanket great sex starts now it sure does and so does today's show we are carol and david this is the sexy lifestyle and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest we have dr eli chef with us today she is an academic and legal expert on polyamorous families with children as a researcher expert witness coach speaker and educational consultant Dr. Chef specializes in gender and sexual minority families, consensual non-monogamy, and kink slash BDSM. Absolutely. You did that really well, hon. I know, right? Uh, There's lots more big words. Dr. Eli, (laughs) welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, and so much fun because we met on Dr. Ava Cadell's panel. and We talked all about open relationships. And, and now we have you here to talk about polyamorous relationships, which I find completely fascinating. So I can't wait to get into it. But let's start by talking about you and, and how it's this been. This past year. Yeah, yeah, how it's been in this past year with COVID, how it's changed your work, how it's changed your life and your sex life. Um, I would say it's been challenging for me as probably it's been challenging for pretty much everybody. I'm sure there are some well-employed introverts who are like, yes, this is great. Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) But um, even they probably got lonely. So yeah, COVID was a huge change for me. And ironically, I was just talking to one of my aunties who was like, oh, hey, what are you up to? And I was thinking, I'm not up to anything. I'm still in quarantine mode. Like I I have gotten so used to that. I'm just not going anywhere. 
Right. But, but what have you done anything? Like we spoke to a couple of people and they brought out their sex toys. We did a lot of role playing. Have you found a way to satisfy those sexual desires that we all have? Um, unfortunately, for me in my life, COVID really changed my relationship, mm. not for the better. Oh. So my wife and I actually separated and I moved out. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a very painful process and I am devastated. Wow. wow. Sorry, I know you, you try to keep things light. No, that's no, okay. That's it's okay. real. I mean, we've heard a lot of like, stories. Yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of relationships either got really good or really bad. Right. And unfortunately, um, you went through um, the bad part of it. Um, and have you found a way to keep your sexual appetite just a little satisfied with some toys, masturbation, May is Masturbation Month? Yay, masturbation. Yes, I got myself some new lube. Mm-hmm. I like unscented lube, the lubes with the scent and the you know flavors and stuff. They irritate my skin. So I got new lube, uh, my same old toy, yeah. tried and true, trusted, vibrational friend. Good <laughs> yes. for you. Yeah, Carol has one of those too, her her go-to. I know, it's actually a lot of fun. So let's talk a little bit about some of the work that you're doing. Like I said, I'm so interested in this polyamory relationship things, but you are using some of your expertise even to do expert witnessing. Tell us about that. Generally, my cases revolve around one of two issues. Either if it's a polyamorous family, Generally, it's about child custody. Okay. If the case is about BDSM, usually it's about kinky sex gone wrong. Oh. Either consent was not fully established when someone thought they had consent and someone else was not consenting, truly. Miscommunication sometimes with that or sometimes willfully being an asshole mm-hmm. and using kink as a way to cover that up and pretend mm-hmm. they I, I, weren't being an ass. I have to tell you a funny story, and I'll go sideways here for a second, but all our listeners know we spent the winter at Hedonism in Jamaica. And um, it's the type of place and the type of rooms where you hear everything that's going on. You know when someone's having an orgasm. You know when the guy shot his load. You know when everybody's happy. Well, one night, Carol and I are in bed, and like at 3 o'clock in the morning, we hear this woman, this girl screaming, I did not give you permission to fuck that woman. And it was like, you hear him going, blah, 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 blah. She goes, no, 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 no. You didn't hear me. I did not give you permission to fuck that woman. And unfortunately, we didn't know which room it was coming from, so we couldn't figure out which couple it was. But that was one of those evenings where it was like, uh, somebody had communication issues. issues that tonight. Yeah. Or maybe he was being an asshole. You don't know, right? We don't know the story. Yeah. And that happens. So you deal with legal cases where they need expert witnesses to describe or give your opinion on the situation. Yes. Yes. And I'm much more likely to give my opinion in a case on polyamory because I can interview people. I can. I'm trained as a court-appointed special advocate, which is also called the guardian ad litem. And so we are trained in assessment. So I can go in and assess 
a family. With kink, it's a lot more difficult. Generally, they don't have me give an opinion on whether it was consensual or not. Generally, what they have me say is just explain kinky sex and see how this thing that looks very much like abuse when you're just watching it or hearing about it could actually be consensual, like choking, for instance. Mm. It sounds very threatening. And if you haven't consented to it, it's freaking terrifying. But it's important for juries to know that people sometimes do consent to being choked. And in fact... That's a fun sex game a lot of people play, but it's really dangerous. Breath play is really, really dangerous. So listeners out there, if you're going to play with breath play, it's totally fine. For one thing, be sober while you're doing it. It is way too easy to accidentally kill someone and you will go down Mm -hmm. for it. And another thing, don't compress the neck. If you want to restrict someone's airflow, put your hand over their mouth and nose so you can release it right away because there are veins in your neck that even once you've released the pressure, if the vein has collapsed, Mm. there's still no oxygen flowing to the brain. Interesting. So you can accidentally kill someone with breath play. It's shockingly easy. So play sober and no neck compression wow. for breath play. So I'm going to go back to consent for, for a second because um, as swingers in the lifestyle, we have three main rules. Ask first, no means no, and if you don't get an enthusiastic yes, it's a no. But I want you to talk just for two seconds about the fact that once you give consent, it's okay to take it back and the other person has to respect that. Absolutely. Consent is a living, ongoing, negotiable thing. So consent is always revocable. And for instance, just because you consented to sex with someone before doesn't mean they have lifetime access Mm -hmm. now to your body and they can have sex with you whenever they want. Mm -hmm. You consented to sex that one time. Mm -hmm. They need to check in every single time. And you do too. Consent goes both ways or always. And and we we, um, actually discussed that on a recent show being at Hedonism because um, we were talking to one of the lifestyle entertainers, one of the guys, and it was like, you know, he he was explaining how he was up there doing stuff and he was naked and all of a sudden a woman just got between his legs and started sucking his cock. And it was like, well, everybody was like, yeah, 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 rah, rah, rah. But nobody asked him if it was okay. And consent goes both ways. You know, it's like, you know, yes, guys are open to everything and yeah, sure, suck my cock. But you really got to ask first. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very invasive. And maybe she got caught up in the moment, but that could be rape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's not okay. Right. You need to check in before touching anyone at all, and especially their genitals. Yes. People are very private about their genitals. Yeah. yeah. Even if they're open to, um, to having it done, you still have to ask first. Yeah. Because it might Absolutely. not be the right time or the right place or the right feeling at and, the moment. And my, and my point was, you know, we're always um, very conscious about not touching a woman without asking her to touch her breast, to even kiss her, to grab her ass. But it works exactly the same for the guy. 
guys, even though, yeah, you let, you want to grab my ass, sure, but you got to ask. You got to make sure it's okay because not everybody is okay with it. They might not be in a swinger relationship. They might not be in an open relationship, and it could cause uh, um, grief and, yeah. and, and shit in, in that couple because she's like, you know, why is that person grabbing you or sucking your cock? So just ask first. Absolutely. Hmm. Very important. Okay, we can move on. Let's so, talk so, about continuing education. Yeah, so one of the things that you uh, work with is this Sexual Health Alliance. Can you describe a little bit about how that goes? Absolutely. So um, Heather McPherson started the Sexual Health Alliance, and they've got um, satellite organizations around the United States. They do continuing education for sexuality educators, counselors, therapists and just people who are interested in sex. So um, ironically, it was even before COVID that I had approached her with this idea of a year-long intensive for counselors and therapists who want to serve people in Mm non-monogamous relationships because unfortunately, there's a significant lack of education in many counseling and therapy programs around non-monogamy. A lot of, especially marriage and family programs, present non-monogamy as the death Mm -hmm. of relationships, Mm -hmm. as if all non-monogamies are the same. Mm -hmm. And yes, cheating is corrosive to relationships because of the lying and the deception and the much higher rates of sexually transmitted infection transmission. But other forms of non-monogamy do not have to be corrosive. You can be honest, just like you two are, Carol and David. You are honest with each other about what you're doing. And part of that honesty is being able to say, I think we should get tested. Mm -hmm. I just had a condom break. Mm -hmm. Maybe all of us should get tested. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're feeding on your honey, you can't say, I just had a condom break. We (laughs) should go get tested because honey's like, we've been monogamous for the last nine years. What are you talking about? You just had a condom break. Right. And, you you know, it's it's so interesting to hear adults and, and us and educators having to remind people that one of the basic principles of a relationship is honesty. And the second one is communication. And we get into all these um, permutations of different things about relationships and why they're not working. And one of the first things you know you, you ask someone is, have you been honest with your partner? Is there something that you're not telling them that you should be telling them? And you know we take it for granted. Carol and I are probably, since we, um, we're on our second marriage. One of the first things we said is, there's no bullshit. We tell each other about everything. We're swingers. No matter how good or how bad, how you bad. have to share it. There's no faking orgasms. <laughs> if it's not good for us in that moment, and when we're just having sex, the two of us are in a swinging situation, we just say, hey, you know what? It's not good. Take out a toy, use your hand, masturbate, do whatever. Your brain isn't always in there. But you know, if you fake an orgasm, if you cheat on someone, you're just not being honest in your relationship. And it leads to lack of satisfaction. For sure. You know, like faking orgasms means then that you're not telling your partner, like, hey, when you do this, I get overstimulated. Can we slow down a little Mm -hmm. bit? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that actually 
leads to great sex. If you're pretending that bad sex is great sex, your partner never gets the chance. Right. Yeah. To explore new ways to please you. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the other things you do is you work on relationship coaching. And I, I'm, I was wondering before, like, what is the difference between coaching and therapy? Oh, that's such a good question. Therapy is generally, well, for one thing, therapists are licensed. They have a specific kind of training in mental health and they're licensed. And generally, they help people work through core issues that are malfunctioning somehow in their life. So they will, for instance, root out the root causes of low self-esteem or something. As a coach, I'm not trained for that, and that's not where my focus is. I instead use the over 25 years of research experience I have to give people information. I will often, they'll come to me and say, this is what we're thinking about doing. And I'll say, when other people have done that, here are some of the primary ways it has worked out. This is what they've done, and this is what happened to put the relationship in larger context and then talk about like, let's say self-esteem is an issue for a therapist. They'll dive deep into why are you feeling that way for a coach? At least the way I do it, I will say, all right, so self-esteem is an issue. How do we in this moment bolster your self-esteem what can you do to feel better about yourself so for instance i will frequently um have people start getting involved in something just for themselves like get a hobby start painting or hiking or rollers you know something so they're not just endlessly focused on their partner and what their partner is doing, but rather to refocus on themselves. But I'm focused on the current situation and not trying to go back and fix things in Uh, the past. uh. If I notice someone really needs therapy, I will refer them out and help them find a therapist. Sometimes coaching and therapy can go hand in hand. Yeah, I know. I like that explanation. And it was always something I wasn't quite sure of. And uh, the therapist obviously is trained in a different way than the coach. And they do their work in a different way, as you explained. Right. Wow, that's right. very, very cool. Cool. Wow, you know, it's time. I can't even believe this is going on so great. It's time for a quick break. Just hang on for a second. We want to do a quick shout out to one of our host show sponsors, but we'll be right back after this. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having an amazing discussion with polyamory expert, Dr. Eli Sheff from The Bonding Project. So stay right there, and we'll get more into The Bonding Project right after this break. So, you know, people have been asking us, what's changed after four years of doing the podcast? Well, a lot has. But to be honest, the orgasm gap still remains a challenge for many couples. You know what I'm talking about. Men tend to finish before their female partners. You've heard us talk about Promescent for years. Their urologist-developed FDA-compliant delay spray can help men last up to 64% longer without loss of sensation. And it's great because promescent is quickly absorbed into the penis and it doesn't transfer to your partner. 
And speaking of your partner, I think we can all agree that sometimes women, even when alone, still have challenges around reaching orgasm. So now, Permescent has created a female arousal gel. I love it. It's a clitoral stimulant that she can rub into her clitoris for increased pleasure and a lot more satisfaction during pretty much any type of sexual activity that you can think of. Absolutely. So now they've got Promescent Delay Spray for him and Arousal Gel for her. So basically, they're closing the orgasm gap on both sides. And remember to check out their amazing lubes as well. Yeah, trust us. Try these amazing products and you'll thank us later. Seriously, just write to us at ask at carolandavid.com and tell us how it went. So try Promescent today. Just go to the website www.promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Yeah, and now, and especially for a limited time, if you enter Sexy Lifestyle 15, you'll get 15% off every order. And remember, tell your friends too, that's Sexy Lifestyle 15 for 15% off. All right, you know we're Carol and David. This is a sexy lifestyle. And now let's get back to our show. We have uh, Dr. Eli Sheff, uh, who's a polyamory expert. And she has an amazing uh, project she's working on called The Bonding Project. So, Dr. Sheff, why don't we start with you explaining what is The Bonding Project and perhaps why you got started on this? The Bonding Project is an inclusive relationship test. Um, it's free. It takes about 10 minutes and it helps people consider whether they would like to bond one-to-one, one-to-many, many-to-many, or solo bonding. And um, it's mostly a conversation starter, either for people to consider with themselves what kind of relationship they might want or to talk to someone they're either already in relationship with or considering dating and to look at you know how they converge where they might have differences of opinion or or desires um it was the brainchild of jess wise who is a friend of mine just an amazing woman who um dates a lot and got really sick of having the same conversation with her dates over and over and wished that there was a test she could give them and just say, go take this test and then come back and talk to me when you're done. Because then it would help her know whether, for instance, if this person was super strong on one-to-one bonding, that would not be a good partner for her because she is one-to-many or solo. And so if someone really wants one-to-one, like one partner who will be their sole or primary person, Jess is not a good choice for them. And when we're talking about bonding, we're talking about intimate relationships. This is not bonding with a best friend. This is not bonding with your child or an auntie. This is about a partnership type of relationship. Right. So this initial test for the bonding project is for allosexuals, which is the opposite of asexual. Asexual people are not generally interested in having sex or don't want to have sex. Allosexuals, A-L-L-O, allosexuals, are sexual people and like to have sex with themselves, with other people, sometimes with multiple other people. So this test is not really measuring asexuality. We will have more tests for that in the future. And other tests that measure non-romantic 
you know, emotional connections that aren't based in romance or sexuality. But this first test is all about how many people or what kind of bonding do you want to have? We figured that was like the kind of the base. Opening up the conversation. It was very cool because I did the test. And it was very cool, the questions that are asked and how they're asked. And it really makes you think about the type of people you want to have sex with and what is the purpose of having sex with those people. And um, I mean, I for me, answering it was, was very easy. And in Great Sex Matters, we're going to talk about the difference between polyamory and swinging. But being swingers, we are not in this to fall in love or to be romantically involved with anybody. We're just in it for great raw sex. Sometimes we don't even know the people's names. We're in an orgy, we're at a club, and it's about the moment and having a great time. Yes, we've become good friends with a lot of our swinger friends, but we're not falling in love with them. There's no jealousy, there's no hiding behind people's backs. Um, And the results came out exactly who I am and who Carol and I are. And we didn't do the Uh questionnaire together. I did it all on my own, and it came back to, hey, I like masturbating. Um, I like one-on-many sex and I'm not out there to find anybody else to be in love with because I have the greatest love of my life right here with Carol. Yay! <laughs> so it sounds like your results were really accurate. They were. They were. The questions and The questions were very to the point. Like there's no um, all three of the above. You have to choose an actual response. And that's the feedback we've been getting from people is that the questions the the results people get from this test are incredibly accurate Mm -hmm. although i have heard from most of the non-monogamous people who take it are like oh yeah i knew that whatever like that's no surprise right but some of the monogamous people who we had tested for us it blew their minds they had never thought about some of these things some of them were like oh my god that was such an amazing experience it just really opened my mind. Others of them felt very affronted and very upset that we would even ask about multiple partners. Mm-hmm. They felt like it was inappropriate and that there, this test should not even exist because <laughs> it's just threatened them as monogamous people. Huh. And I, I felt kind of bad for them yeah. that they were so affronted by that. You know, and the test itself, we don't care what results people as the test designers we are not invested in making everyone be non-monogamous we really don't care we you know we feel like one-to-one bonding is absolutely legitimate right Mm -hmm. but for some monogamous people even the idea of consensual non-monogamy is so frightening that they get angry at people even for thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think this test, I mean, we, we've met a lot of people on our 13-year journey of being swingers who aren't swingers, but they're not monogamous. They're monogamish, and they're, right. we call it vanilla twist. They're vanilla with a little bit of added eroticism and sexuality into their life, so they might want to go to the playroom, have sex with two of them next to us having sex together. And nobody's touching, but it's just being in that environment. And, you know, we met a couple this summer who he wasn't quite sure about what he wanted. She wanted to explore. But a test like this 
you know, if they did it separately, it would be a great way to open up discussion about, I like this, I don't like that, where's that happy medium? Especially the questions of, you know, why do you want to possibly bring another person in? Or if you don't wanna bring another person in, what do you like doing by yourself? And sometimes people don't have a vehicle to ask or, or, or have those discussions or, or even know how to ask the questions. And this was, I, mean, I think it took me six minutes to do it. A great way to start by doing something for six minutes, it could open up a discussion for weeks and weeks and weeks and find out things about you and your partner that you'd never discuss. So you were super speedy, six minutes. <laughs> for many people, it takes closer to 10-ish minutes. Um, but six minutes is legitimate. For yeah. some people, it takes 15. But yeah. you know, Eli, it, they have it, to think about but it. But it was very easy. When it asked me, am I in this for romance or for falling in love with someone, it was absolutely not, absolutely not. Because he knows. Not. Well, Do not agree. Do yeah. not agree. Yeah. It was, it was, right? It's very clear what we're in it for. There was a couple of questions I had to think about. But, you know, Carol and I know who we are. We know what we like sexually. We know that there's there's no romance or intimacy with anybody else but the two of us so um that's why i'm saying these people who are right at the line who aren't sure or who are just exploring it or listening to the show and don't know what to do just go do the test it's a great discussion starter i'm glad you liked it yeah. we worked really hard on it and it was hard to cut it down uh-huh. to a 10 minute test because initially we were like oh we should measure this and that and this and that and you know, in some of the first tests, if we had gone with those, it would have taken, you know, an hour. Right, right. For everything that we were measuring. And we were like, people are not going to spend an hour right. on this. But 10 minutes, it's doable. Mm-hmm. Six minutes. Yeah. Speeding. <laughs> so what do you hope to do with this bonding project? What are your goals? That's a good question. Um, I would say primarily we're interested in fostering more connection and conversation around relationship diversity. Not only conversation with people who are having those relationships and on an individual level thinking about that, but the data we get from this, um, we're hoping to use to show how incredibly widespread openness to consensual non-monogamy is. Research already indicates that at least 20% of people in the United States have had a consensually non-monogamous relationship. So one in five, that's incredibly common. Um, But we think if, if you were asking about what do you want and not what have you done, right? We think a lot of people are interested in consensual non-monogamy. And in fact, our results to this point bear that out. We've had just over 9,000 people take the test since it came out in January. And of those, the last numbers I looked at might have shifted a little bit since then, um, were that 80 two or three, I don't remember exactly the number, but over 80% of the respondents were either comfortable or curious with having sex with multiple people, like multiple sexual partners, not necessarily at the same time, but just over time. But ironically, 
60 something percent, so a good 20 points fewer, were interested in having multiple romantic mm. partners. Wow. So it seems pretty clear that people are more comfortable with sexual exploration and not as comfortable trying to maintain multiple emotionally right. intimate relationships, which makes a lot of sense it does. It does. to me. Yes, absolutely. What's, what's very interesting, and to back up your point and what information and research data that you're getting is, um, l late last year we had Dr. Justin Laymiller on our show from the Kinsey Institute, and he did a huge study survey last year of over 4,000 people all about fantasies. And the number one fantasy that people's ha people had was having a threesome. And after that, it was having sex with uh, multiple people. And um, it's, it's incredible how many people, when you ask them what their fantasy is, um, they'll tell you, I'd love to have a threesome. And then if you ask the second question, have you ever talked to your partner about it? The percentage of people who say no is astronomical because people in monogamous relationships are afraid to bring up stuff that's a little taboo and out of the ordinary. But we joke all the time that we have friends who have been married for 25 years and the woman finally brings up to the husband, hey, would you like to have a threesome? And the husband goes, hell yeah, I'm a guy. I've been thinking about it for 20 years. And they go out, they have a great time. It's not a romantic anything. It's just about bringing another person in to have a little bit of sexual exploration. And all of a sudden, their sex life and their marriage blossoms at another stage. Having been together for 25 years, they find this another gear that keeps them going. Absolutely. And it can definitely be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be more complicated or, or it can be. But, you know, I think that what, what it is is that a lot of people are worried that their partner is going to find someone better than them. And that's why they don't really want to act on their fantasy of a threesome. What if, she, what if I bring another woman in and she's better than me? I don't really want that. Or what happens if she's prettier than me or she sucks cock better than me? It, those are fears that we have because that's just being human, I think. And we're not opening up dialogue enough for people to talk about. It doesn't matter if she's better than you, cocksucking. Your husband still loves you. Yeah, and you know? also, We don't talk about that part. So and, we and just have these fears that we keep inside and we don't share and we don't let them out. And also, you know, everybody assumes women who want to do this are bisexual. We have a lot of swinger friends who aren't into girls, but love having a second guy involved. And, you know, guys, if you're talking about you're wanting to have a threesome, be prepared for your wife to say, well, I'd like to do, you know, one of your good friends that you play baseball with. And we have had the best threesomes just two guys and you. Yeah, for sure. Because, We've had both ways. Of yeah, course. Carol is more bi-situational, bi-selfish. <laughs> uh, she prefers guys to girls. If the girls are right, are there, great. But um, we have threesomes both ways and it works for both of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How are you going to get people to actually do this bonding project test? Well, all they have to do is go to bondingproject.com. B-O-N-D-I-N-G-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. Okay. Bondingproject.com. It's free. You just click on take the test. And it's anonymous, and right? With the results. It's... Um, well, the, the results are... Um, confidential. Confidential. I mean, you do get your own results, right. so it's not completely anonymous because you get them back. But when we look at them, 
they are aggregated, which means no single individual's results are identifiable. Right. Okay. Like they're mixed in with all 9,000 other people. So we're not looking at what did David say? Right, you know? right, right, right. We're looking at 9,000. And how many people are, you, are you hoping to get for this first part of the bonding project in terms of research data? You know, um, we don't really have a set number. More what we're focused on is turning it into an app, you know, that can be on your phone and providing a dashboard kind of experience where you can build up results from your tests. So not only the test we've already released, but we're working on multiple other tests about like what kind of family style do you want? What kind of living situation do you want? How do you feel about resources? Do you want your own resources? Do you want to share resources? You know, like all of, you know, how many people you have sex with, that's important. That's definitely one aspect. But as you both well know, and your listeners know, there's so much more to a relationship beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so the dashboard would collect all of those results and then allow people to compare from their entire relationship network, which polyamorous people call a polycule, kind of like an extended family, and to be able to compare the results of everyone in the polycule. So you can see, oh, you all have very similar ideas about safer sex and sexually transmitted infections, but you have a divide over how you think you should spend money. So that's going to be an issue for you. Be sure to communicate very clearly around that, possibly maintain separate bank accounts. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, the, these data say you have very different ideas about how you want to spend money and that will be a problem for you I and, think in the polycule. And what about spending time together? That's got to be something that's always thought about as well in a polyamorous relationship. Absolutely. So yeah, we're, we're working on a resources, a shared resources test. And one of the challenging things is it's so difficult to know where to cut off the questions. Because for instance, if we're talking about time, that becomes a lot more complicated if you have young children mm -hmm. that need supervision. Mm -hmm. Right now, you two were mentioning you have adult children. You don't have to communicate around who's gonna take care of the kids if we're out dating. Those kids are self-sufficient. Right. You know, They don't need to be taken care of, but someone with a three-year-old and a five-year-old, that's going to figure in yeah. hugely right. to how they manage their dating. So do we ask about that in the family test or the resources test or the time? Does time, is time so important that it shouldn't be lumped in with other resources that mm. needs its separate test? It's a fun intellectual exercise, Absolutely. you know, to kind of navigate through the weeds and, and get the most pristine, perfect test we can come up with that covers enough, but not too much. 
it's been fun, but very challenging. So how much would you say, or even if you know the answer to this or guess, would be how many polyamorous relationships are there in the United States in a percentage wise? Would you have any idea? That's such a good question. It's really hard to say for a number of reasons. The number of people in consensually non-monogamous relationships in the United States is around 5%. So 20% have tried it, 5% are in an ongoing relationship, but they don't break it down further than that. Mm -hmm. For one thing, even people who identify as polyamorous don't necessarily agree on the definition Mm of how to describe it. And even if you do come up with an agreed upon definition, how about the people that act that way, but don't identify Mm -hmm. that way? Uh. Like I've had some respondents in my 25 years of asking people about this, who identified themselves as swingers, but had been swinging with the same other couple Mm For 18 years, they went on vacation together, they knew their families, you know, they did all sorts of things together, their kids hang out. To me, that looks like polyamory. But who am I to say, oh, no, no, you have your identity wrong. Let me correct you and tell you what you really are. So if they think of themselves as swingers, but fit the definition of polyamory, should they be counted as polyamorous or swinger? It's, it's very complicated. In my own research, I always rely on self-definition. Mm-hmm. So if people say they're polyamorous, no problem. I believe them. Gotcha. If people say they're swingers, I believe them. Huh. We're, we're going to get into talking about um, the differences between polyamory and swinging in our next section, Great Sex Matters. But, you know, just to finish up on the bonding project, I think that it is such a great tool for people to use as a discussion starter and you know you're putting this app together and apps always push notifications out i mean if you just you know kept it simple and every week you sent people five questions to get information to think about who they are what they want how they want to do it and then say now go talk to your partner about them and their questions i mean people would just be forced or or be incentivized to talk to discuss right, right. the different things that we don't talk about. We talk about work, we talk about food, we talk about groceries, the car, the lawn, but we don't talk about those important things about, you know, how do you like sex or how do you want to spend your time or, um, you know, what do you like to wear? J- just those those things that um, are, are, you know, brain, brain, what are those called? Triggers. Brain so, triggers. Yeah, to trigger you to do something different. Is and, that what and, you're getting at? Yeah, and that's what apps do. Emails and newsletters and all that don't do it anymore. But an app that says, here, answer these five questions and on Friday night schedule some time, glass of wine with your partner and discuss. That would be cool. You know, we do send out some follow-up mm-hmm. emails. We do the newsletter thing. Um, and we're trying to figure out actually how best to engage with our audience because people, after they take the test, they're like, that was great. Mm -hmm. Where do I get more information? You know, what do I do with this information now? Yeah. So we're working on building a community Mm -hmm. around it. And um, Jess Wise, who came up with the Bonding Project test, or it was her idea, she's also a co-founder of MESH, 
which is an online discussion platform that allows discussion of sexuality. A lot of, I don't know if your listeners know, there's a lot of um, policing online mm-hmm. of sexuality-related content. All sorts of websites are getting shut down. Mm-hmm. You can't, even a friend of mine is a sex therapist, and she had her Facebook profile taken down because she talks about sex yeah. therapy. Yeah. Right. And, and it got caught up somehow in FOSTA, SESTA, yeah. which is against sex trafficking. Yeah. She is in no way related to sex right. trafficking. Right, right, right. But they took her down anyway. So MESH isn't only about sexuality, but it also allows discussion of sexuality in a way that a lot of other platforms very cool. are oh, cutting very, cool. very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's like the next step. Wow, all of this is such an amazing and, dis- and interesting discussion. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having an amazing discussion with polyamory expert Dr. Eli Sheff from The Bonding Project. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, another shout out from our show sponsor. Stay right there. We're not going anywhere. We're going to tell you about Hito 2 in Jamaica. You know it's one of our favorite places to hang out naked on the beach. We were there all winter. It is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like. And this year they are celebrating their 40th anniversary. It's happening on October 30th, November 6th. So come and join us down there for a week. For more information, go to thesexylifestyle.com, click on the Hito link, and book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. This Sorry. is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Great sex matters and we all deserve it. And today is very cool because we have had these discussions over the years about the differences between non-monogamy and um, polyamory. polyamory and swinging and how they all mesh or don't mesh together. So, Eli... What are the different types of non-monogamy and when they work best or not at all? So there are, I would say, about six primary types of non-monogamy practiced in the United States, and many of them in Canada as well, actually. Lots of overlap there. Um, I would say probably the best known across time and around the world culturally is polygamy, which is multiple partner marriage. And that is almost always one husband with multiple wives. That is called polygyny. And the inverse of that, polyandry, one wife with multiple husbands, is very rare. Across cultures and across time, polyandry, extremely rare. But polygyny, happens in almost every society mm-hmm. we can find contemporarily and historically wealthy powerful men can have multiple partners they get multiple women they get women and men they get pretty much whoever they want mm. so that i would say is the best known and the most widespread polygamy open relationships are simply non-monogamous. It's an umbrella category um, that doesn't really describe a lot about the relationship itself, but just says these folks are non-monogamous. So open is almost just an invitation to say, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and open relationships actually have the lowest satisfaction of any of the consensually non-monogamous relationships. Researchers think that's because they're often a transitional phase. So people have just gotten together. They don't know what to expect from each other. They don't feel particularly connected or safe. That's characteristic of many open relationships. Not all of them. Absolutely not all of them, but some of them. Um, monogamish relationships are tend to focus more on the couple, but give them what I think of as wiggle room to kind of make rules around flexing their monogamy however it works for them. So for some people, that's having an occasional threesome. For others, that's being able to make out with someone on the dance floor, but not take them in the bathroom and fuck them. Mm. Um, for others, it's you get a free pass for that one ex of yours that you have great chemistry with, but you hate their politics, <laughs> so you don't want to talk to them. So three or four times a year, you can get together and spend an entire weekend not talking. Um, so monogamish, open, polygamy, swinging is, I would say, the best known form of consensual non-monogamy tends to be very heterosexual, mostly in the United States, like as in comparison to Europe, has a little more flexibility around men having sexual contact with each other in the swing setting. In the United States, mostly men are actively discouraged from having sexual contact with each other, whereas women are not only allowed, but sometimes encouraged to have sexual contact with each other. So the swinging setting is not great for gay or bisexual men not recommended for them but gay and bisexual men have their own whole thing happening right. of non-monogamy and sex with each other so they often don't make any attempt to overlap with the swing world there swing world tends to be mostly about heterosexual sex polyamory um tends to focus more on the emotional aspect of relationships and tends to be kind of long-term, emotionally intimate relationships as the goal. They don't always work out that way, but a lot of polyamorous are looking for that deep emotional connection. And some people will have multiple kinds of non-monogamy happening in their life at the same time. Some polyamorists are also swingers right. and will have different kinds of sex with different kinds of people in different settings. I would say overall swinging appears to be easier to manage and navigate emotionally because you're not trying to maintain a family relationship right. among five people right. for instance. Yeah. Right. Now, so, one of the common things that we hear is that, like, my husband has a girlfriend, like a steady girlfriend. So some people still call that swinging or open because he has a regular partner that he goes off and fucks. But is that considered a polyamorous relationship when it's a regular partner that he often goes and visits? 
I would say you'd have to ask them. Oh, I guess, yeah. If he thinks of it as swinging, it gets to be called swinging. Right. To me, that sounds like polyamory because people know about each other. That's crucial right. in polyamory, that the partners all know about each other and frequently hang out together. Okay. Open relationships, for instance, don't have that same level of expectation ah. of everyone knowing each other or knowing about each other. There's just don't expect monogamy and that's it. And for some open relationships, absolutely, the partners know about each other and know each other. But for others, it's just more of a don't ask, don't tell mm-hmm. kind of relationship. So it's it's very tricky measuring sexual identity. Yeah. Who is the arbiter? Right. Who gets to say who's the real polyamorist and who's a real swinger as an academic, we've, we've been around the block in sociology around that. And we have decided as a discipline to listen to people's Mm self-identification and go from there. Mm. So one of the other things that you are an expert on and that you write about and you do courses on is what happens with a non-monogamy mismatch when one partner wants it and the other doesn't. Yes, and I've been seeing more and more of that as non-monogamy becomes much more widely known and accepted as, you know, that you can have a consensually non-monogamous relationship. You don't have to either be fully monogamous or cheating there's another alternative. And as people realize that, some people who've wanted it for a long time and have kind of pushed it down or pushed it away are coming to their very long-term partners and saying, I've been trying to ignore this, but it's not going away. This is something that's important to me and I'd like to talk to you about it. And the monogamous partner in that setting is often floored, just you know, feels like, oh my God, I thought we were happy this whole time and you've been unhappy. Like, you're not the person I thought you were. This isn't the relationship I thought it was. It can be incredibly disheartening. And as a monogamous person myself, I fully understand how some monogamous people, when they hear their partners say, I want other people. If you're like me, you might think, does that mean I'm too fat? Yeah. Does that mean I'm bad in bed? You know, like it's a lack on my part. And for truly polyamorous people or people who are deeply non-monogamous as an orientation, it does not mean there's anything wrong with their partner. It means it's who they are. They will always want multiple partners. And it doesn't mean, you know, even if they had... Marilyn Monroe or Beyonce, they would still want someone else, else. Jada Pinkett Smith. (laughs) Of course. Um, But as a monogamous person, like for me, I don't, unless I am moving away from my partner and that relationship is over, I am not really attracted to other people. I am and see, oh yeah, that's, you know, she's really pretty or yeah, you know, she's super hot. She's awesome. But I'm not drawn sexually to other people if I'm in love. I have a very monogamous heart. 
And so that kind of deep disjuncture about what people want, I would say that it's very frequently an orientation and not necessarily a choice. So, so, One how, of, so how does that discussion go when that person brings it up and the other person is totally floored? You know, we've, we've spoken over the years about never say no, say, well, what about this option? Is, is, is that the discussion that the, that the couple has when one of them wants to add someone in? Sometimes, yes. Um, often they will um, be, both of them will be very upset. Often the polyamorous person or the person who wants multiple partners has been having to compensate a lot for a long time by stuffing it down and trying to pretend that they were non they were monogamous and that takes a lot of effort trying to be someone you're not pushing something down that hard that long takes a lot of effort so often when they come out and say honey this is what i've been wanting this whole time they feel this great weight lifted off of them that finally they're being who they are, but then the weight transfers to the monogamous person who was thinking everything was fine and now all of a sudden they are crushed under the weight of this expectation that they will be someone they are not. And it's very difficult. Some people can work it out either with varying degrees of distance, like someone has a long distance partner or Um, being involved, that they get involved in the relationship themselves. So it's a group Mm -hmm. thing. But for some people, there is no compromise. You know, it's kind of like having a baby. Like you either have a baby or you don't. Mm -hmm. Monogamy is you either are monogamous or you're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some people can work that out and some people can't. Right. I I think people who have discovered or like you said, come out and now this weight is lifted off them. If they've discovered and admitted it, there's like, there's no going back. Like, I don't feel that I could ever be in a relationship that was a monogamous relationship ever in the future, even if I'm not with David. My next partner would have to be non-monogamous with me. Open-minded and and I would love, I would, I can't imagine ever going back to be a monogamous person. So I get that once they've let it out of the bag, there's no going back. And so you have to deal with it, whether positively with your current partner or find another partner who might be open to it. So we're, we're, we're- and even when they say they're willing to go back, the monogamous partner is often kind of concerned or wondering. What's happening? You know, even if the the non-monogamous partner is not cheating on them, if they say, you know, oh, honey, I'm stuck at work, I'm going to be home three hours late, the monogamous partners somewhere in their mind, even if they trust their partner, it will occur to them, mm-hmm. oh, I wonder if they're really at work or if they're out having sex with someone else. Yeah, yeah. So we're coming to the end of the show, and before we get the final advice from Dr. Eli Chef, I want you to talk just quickly, not really quickly, but you know, is there a difference in sexual activity in a polyamorous relationship versus a swinging relationship? Is the sex better, worse, different? 
I would say the sex in swinging relationships is more frequent, more, more sex with more different people. People in polyamorous relationships, some of them are having a lot of sex, but because it's this emotionally based relationship among multiple people, a lot of them spend more time on the emotional aspect and the boundaries and talking about scheduling and talking about their feelings, more time on that than the actual fucking. Yeah, right. because swingers swing for the excitement and the, the newness and different people and more people. And I guess that's why we're swingers because we are absolutely in love with each other. We're not looking for love. We're not looking for romance. We're just looking for a bunch of good friends or people that we can have great sex with. And sexual variety is super appealing to a lot of people, it regardless is. of whether they are monogamous or not. They may be emotionally monogamous and still want sexual variety because sexual variety is fun. Having sex with new people, it's fun mm -hmm. and interesting. And at least research indicates that it doesn't have to destroy a relationship. It can actually enliven yeah. the sex relationship of two people who are committed to each other. Yeah. You know, if you can communicate about it, and you talk about your feelings and you're honest with each other and treat each other well, then sexual variety can be such a fun spice. And to be successful, yeah, and to be a successful swinger, we need to do all of those things you just said. We need to be open and honest and learn to communicate. So it kind of forces you to be a better partner before you even embark in a swinging situation to make sure if you want to, to be successful without drama, without you know jealousy. So we are coming to the end of the show. This has been so amazing. I'm loving everything we've been Learned discussing. So much, yeah. yeah, but we do like to leave our audience with some final sexy advice. So Dr. Eli, I'm going to ask you, what would be the benefit of taking the bonding test before approaching your partner with the idea of branching out into a polyamorous relationship? I think it's a great conversation starter. It's a way to kind of remove it a little bit not of like hey i noticed your best friend has a great rack right can we jump in the sack with her but more like hey check out this interesting test i took right would you take it exactly. let's talk about our results exactly. you know more as like kind of a fun quick little free thing yeah. that can start a conversation and it doesn't have to be really heavy it doesn't have to be about anyone in specific mm -hmm. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. absolutely well dr eli chef uh thank you so much for sharing all that great information um we are going to definitely have you back on our show later this year as the bonding project evol project evolves um your work continues the research information comes in why don't you take a minute and tell everyone how they can find you online your work online so you can find most things about me on my website, elizabethchef.com, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-S-H-E-F-F, elizabethchef.com. And you can find my books there. I've written four books about polyamory. My most recent is about children in polyamorous families, a super short little book that just distills the research findings down to a very few pages written for lay readers not 
heavy academic. Um, you can also find my blog, which has all my my research findings broken down into little bite-sized tidbits on psychology today. Um, I blog as The Polyamorists Next Door, which is the name of my first book. And then you can find The Bonding Project at bondingproject.com. Oh, that's wonderful. And of course, if you missed any of this information, you just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information. Of course, you can contact them directly from there if you have any questions about their work. Absolutely. And as we did today, uh, we're learning more and more every week from all our expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Like we said before, wow, what another great show. Um, it's always tough to end, but we only have about an hour. Dr. Eli Chef, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. This was a fun conversation. Absolutely. And of course, every week we thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. Join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 